We're going to continue in our Easter service today. Um, If you are familiar with what we've done at Bridge over the years, you've known that at different times in Christmas and Easter, we try to bring a different perspective on either the Christmas story or the Easter, uh, the truth of the resurrection. Uh, Sometimes that's in a form of a play. Sometimes that's in a form of of, uh, acting, um, which is kind of like a play, but this is a little bit different. Uh, Today... Uh, we are actually going to look at the resurrection through a little bit of a dis- different lens. And before we do that, I just want to ask you a question. And the question is simply this. What does the resurrection mean to you? What does it mean to us if we were going to think as a community? Because God wants us to think not just as individuals. He wants us to think as a community as well. What does the resurrection mean to us today? You know, I've heard people say before that a picture is worth a thousand words. Some of you have ever heard that before. Well, if a picture is worth a thousand words, I think a story is worth a million. And it's one thing to hear about it. It's another thing to see it. This morning, what we're going to do as part of our message time to talk about the resurrection is not just to speak about why Jesus rose from the dead. We are going to talk about that a little bit and the power that comes from that. But I think sometimes the best ways that we can illustrate that are through seeing changed lives. And this morning, what you're going to experience are three separate stories that we've put together. They're all true. They're all from people that are connected at Bridge Community Church, and they tell the story of where they were before they had a relationship with God, the road that God brought them to come to Christ, and the power of the resurrection from the time they accepted Christ. I want to be clear that these stories do not show perfect lives because there are no perfect people in this world. And when we make a decision to follow Christ, our life doesn't become amazingly perfect and there are no issues after that. It's simply the journey that shows us what do we look like before Jesus, when God gets a hold of our heart, what happens, and then what does it look like after? Three stories, real families, real people, and they're going to give a testimony this morning about a real living Jesus. So if you would take a moment and you would bow your head, I'm just going to ask that God would speak to us through these stories today. And God, we come before you today and I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you, Lord, to know this morning that the Bible is not just a bunch of words on the page, but it gives testimony. Your word gives testimony to your power and your presence. And this morning, as we open up our hearts today, I pray, God, that each one of us would be able to see this, not through the lens of entertainment. They would see this through the lens of reality that these are real people that experienced real lives and they're walking today with a real risen Lord. God, have your way this morning in this place. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends have always been a big part of my life. I've made a lot of fun memories with friends while living life to the fullest. In the past, we'd hang out at the bar in town where we'd play darts or we'd drink and smoke. My friends always knew they could count on me because I'm a good person and I'm always there for them. When people describe me, they say I'm a good person and a hard worker. I've worked various jobs such as lifeguarding, teaching hockey at summer camps, driving a Zamboni, and detailing cars. Volunteering is one way that I can work hard and help others. That's one of the reasons I'm at the firehouse and have helped in other places in the community like Boy Scouts. Stopping to help a stranger change a tire or help an elderly lady put groceries in a cart, that's all second nature to me. Anytime I can help, I do it. 
I remember this one time I was having breakfast with my girlfriend and I noticed a mom panicking in the parking lot because it looked like her baby was choking. So my instinct was to run out and help her. I just jumped straight into action because that's what I knew how to do. That's what I knew that good people did. Turns out the baby was having a seizure, but ended up being just fine. I don't remember anyone talking to me about God growing up, although once in a while I'd go to church with my grandfather. I can remember praying for dinner during holidays, but that's it. I survived growing up in the ghetto of L.A. where your word was your bond. I saw unbelievable violence growing up, including the violence in our house, with the beatings my stepdad used to give my mom, my brother, and me. Young boys should not have to get beat with sticks and two-foot pieces of water hose. Like the time a guy was shot in my front yard, or the time I saw a guy stabbed in the alley near my house. Then he grabbed me, threw me down, and threatened me that I'd be the next if I ever said anything to anyone. I survived the ghetto without knowing who God was. I met and started dating my wife when we were in high school. The head of one of the gangs liked her also, but was bothering her and that made me angry. One day after school, I turned around and there he was with 20 gang members. I knew I had to make a move and I let my temper get the best of me as I started beating on him. The gang thought I was crazy and ran away, but there were consequences. This guy's older brother wanted to settle the score. He got high on his way to find me. He killed four other people. It's amazing I survived. We never went to church growing up, but as a teenager I went once with a friend. I was sitting there, and in front of me, this little kid turned around and looked at me, and then made raspberries at me. So I made them back, thinking it was funny. The next thing I know, the guy behind me slaps me in the back of my head. I never went back to church again. My family went to a really strict church growing up, but I only went once in a while. My dad was especially strict. I can remember sitting on the couch and he'd come into the room and yell, Sit up straight. Feet on the floor. Where are your shoes? Shoes on unless you are sleeping. We even had to put the toilet paper roll on a certain way. We weren't allowed to watch certain movies or shows. If my dad gave us instructions and we couldn't repeat them back to him, boy, were we in trouble. My family dealt with many different kinds of abuse, from drugs and alcohol to emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. Family members close to me hurt me in ways girls should never be hurt. They hurt my mind, my body, and my emotions. They were people I was supposed to trust and people that were supposed to protect me. I couldn't understand why would things like this happen if there was a God? How could he let me continuously get hurt and abused? During my senior year of high school, I met my husband and brought all of these hurts into our relationship. It felt like I was carrying a huge backpack. He protected me from the gangs at school and even swooped and rescued me from my family. It wasn't easy. He was very protective and jealous and sometimes reminded me of my dad. We even broke up one time over it, but then he asked me to marry him and of course I said yes. Then he goes and enlists in the army. Who does that without talking to his fiance first? 
She has this hurt that she carries around with her all the time. I keep trying to help, but I think I'm making it worse. One night, we were visiting her family and her brother came over drunk. He was one of the people that hurt her, and he started a fight with me. He punched me first, and then I let him have it. It felt so good to repay him for all that he had done to my wife. I don't know what made me stop punching, but I did. Left almost dead, he was taken to the hospital. She still keeps pushing me away. I know it was wrong, but I found comfort with another woman. I'm frustrated because I don't know how to love her. I thought marriage would help lighten this load I've been carrying, but it didn't. I like wholesome movies and TV shows, and he watches everything and anything. We argue all the time about money and how to spend it. I was only six years old when children and youth services came to my house for my sister and me. Without any notice, they took us from our mom and grandmom. I remember sitting in the back seat of the social worker's car. No one told us anything. The first house we stopped was where my sister would live. She was seven. The next house was my stop. I didn't know it at the time, but it would be the first of many foster homes I would be placed in during the next two years. Two years after I was taken from my mom, I still had no idea what was going on. No one explained it to me. I was confused, lonely, and angry. When I was eight, I was placed in the foster home of a Christian family. The couple had other kids, but really helped me see what it felt like to be loved and cared for. I never knew what real love looked like until I met this family. Having a foster dad, who also signed up to be my football coach, eating home-cooked meals every night, or just knowing someone would be home after school, were simple but powerful things that showed me I was loved. They also brought me to church with them, and I learned more about Jesus. One of the most important things they did was helping me get in contact with my mom and sister again. It was over two years since I saw or spoke with either of them. At 10, I would have weekend visits with my mom. During that time, I started hanging out with a bad crowd of guys. Vandalism, drugs, and fights were what those guys were into. I wasn't into the drug scene, but I would fight. The anger needed a place to come out, and fighting seemed to help. Many days, I'd wander the local parks on my own, waiting for someone to come home. I was angry. A lot. Being lonely most of the time made me angrier. In school, I wouldn't start fights, but kids knew not to mess with me, or else they'd get beaten up. I was stronger than I looked, and some kids learned that the hard way. Living an angry, lonely life was normal for me. I wondered if this was the way things would always be. Life can be messy. The stories that you're hearing are examples of messy life. There's a story in the Gospel of John where it says there was a woman that was caught in adultery. And the consequence for being caught in adultery, according to the law, was to be stoned to death. And with all of her accusers around her, stones in hand, Jesus comes onto the scene. And he poses a question to everybody that makes them stop. And he says, the one here who is without sin should be the first to cast the stone. And beginning with the oldest man, 
They all drop their stones and they walk away. The woman looks at Jesus and says, where are my accusers? Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. There's no one here to accuse me. And he looks at her and he says, and neither do I. And then he says something that's incredibly significant for her and for us today. He says, go and leave your life of sin. See, he doesn't just walk into the situation and stop the accusing. He challenges her to stop sinning because Jesus came to destroy the power of sin. And sin is the reason why our world is broken. Maybe an easy way to understand the word of sin is to think about it through the lens of brokenness. I think we would all understand and agree that we live in a broken world. Our economy is broken. Our government is clearly broken. Our international relations are broken. Nations are at war with other nations or they threat being at war with other nations. Consistently, terrorism is on the rise in the world that we live in. Marriages are broken. Families are clearly broken. There's abuse, there's pain, there's neglect. There's so much brokenness in this world. How can we not look at the world around us and not see the need for a savior? The thing about brokenness is that sometimes brokenness comes in different ways. It may be like in the situation in the story over here where in this situation, the brokenness was thrust upon him. And to no avail of his own, to no responsibility of his own, he was born into a situation that resulted in brokenness. Or in the situation over here, which was a combination, where sometimes the brokenness is something you're born into, but you also contribute to it. Or maybe the story here in the middle. This is maybe one of the most dangerous examples of brokenness where we think life is great and everything is fine. And the reality of it is, it's not okay. There's more to life than just existing and living and breathing and dying. Jesus came to destroy the brokenness. Jesus came to make a real life for each one of us. Eventually we realize that we can't solve this problem by ourselves, and we need a hero. And that's where Jesus takes over in each one of our stories. I met my future wife while I was getting a haircut. We saw each other every day after that first date. She invited me to church and I went. I had many discussions with a the pastor there and with my girlfriend's dad, who was also a pastor. I always thought I needed to know every piece of information about Jesus, have all the answers before I could even accept Jesus into my life. I thought that I was a good guy and did the right things, and that would get me into heaven. My girlfriend's dad was straight with me and showed me that being a good guy was not enough. Being a good guy was leading me to hell, not to heaven. I finally saw that I needed a savior, that being good wasn't enough. I needed Jesus. Jesus was the only way to heaven. So on May 20, 2006, I made the decision to follow Jesus. On April 1st, the following year, I was water baptized and we got married on the same day. Today is April 1st. Happy anniversary, honey. 
It all began to change when we moved to a new apartment next to one of my childhood friends and her husband. She talked to me about God, but I just didn't understand. Then they invited us to go to church with them. I told them we'd go to church as soon as I had a Sunday off work. That was a promise I could make because I knew it would never happen. I always work on Sundays until this week. After two years, my manager finally gave me a Sunday off. Our friends found out somehow and came and knocked on the door that Sunday. And because I'm a man of my word, we went. We went and both decided to follow Jesus that day. How could I not believe in Jesus when the pastor spoke about protecting our wives and children? I was going to protect my wife and little girls with all my life. Things really started to change for me at 13. The Christian foster family I was placed in five years before adopted me and I officially became part of their family. I stopped hanging out with the wrong kind of friends, started studying more in school, and went to church regularly. One Sunday, my new family dedicated me to God in front of the whole church. That was a pretty cool day. Being a part of a new family changed the way I saw love. This family I was now a part of were loving, caring, and introduced Jesus to me by the way they loved me. They loved me the way Jesus loved me. It made me want to know more about Jesus. At 15 years old, at a summer youth camp, I gave my life to Jesus. Jesus showed me what real love was, so why shouldn't I give my life to Him? I gave my life to Him, was baptized, and started a new way of life. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew I wasn't going backwards. That's the thing about God. He doesn't remind us of our past. He's more interested in showing where we are going instead of where we've been. There's another story in the book of Matthew. Jesus is walking down the road. He's going through the city. And there's a young, a a short man, a small man. His name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the Romans. He was also Jewish. And those two things didn't go together very well in that culture. Because the Jewish people saw Zacchaeus as a traitor and a thief. He was steal actually from his own people working for the government. Zacchaeus was not the kind of man that people would associate with. And Jewish people, real legitimate Jewish people that were followers of the way or the the Old Testament law would consider him a traitor, would consider him unclean. But Zacchaeus wanted to meet Jesus and he was interested in Jesus. So he climbed this tree and he's looking for Jesus. As Jesus walks by, he sees Zacchaeus and he looks at him in the tree and this is what he says. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. We're going to go to your house today and we're going to have a meal. That invitation blew the minds of the Jewish leaders. In fact, with condemnation, they would look at that and say, this guy eats with sinners. Who does he think he is? Can I tell you this morning? It may have really disrupted the Jewish leaders, but it transforms Zacchaeus. And here's why. Because Jesus didn't look at him for the things that he did. He looked at him for who he was. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to change the path of each person on this planet. And by eating with Zacchaeus, he was making a declaration and a statement, which was this. He said, basically, it doesn't matter where you came from. 
It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your past is. What matters is that today you and I are in relationship. And it changed the way Zacchaeus lived. So much so, giving him a new identity that Zacchaeus promised before Jesus that he would repay everyone that he cheated to the amount of four times above what he robbed them of. That's transformational power. And each one of us are on a pathway. And God may be trying to speak to you to get your attention. The thing this morning I want you to hear, which is so powerful in each one of these stories, God brings us to himself the way that we need to hear it. It may be like this story where you need to see what real love looks like. God speaks to you through the language of real love. Or maybe the story that was in the middle where sometimes God needs to hit us right between the eyes and talk to us about us not being good enough and this is what it looks like for us to not be good enough. Or maybe he needs to speak a message through a friend, a neighbor, or a pastor about what it means to protect your family and it cuts right to your heart. Why does Jesus do that? Because he knows us all individually and personally and he wants us to be in a relationship with him. When Jesus invites us to walk a new path, and we agree to it, that's where everything changes and that's where the adventure begins. I then began to see God do things in my life that I'd never seen before. I remember deciding to go on a missions trip to Alaska and I wanted to quit smoking before going. How could I get on an airplane for that long without having a cigarette? I was about three weeks smoke-free, and I was having a very bad night. I just wanted a cigarette, and I remember it got so bad one night that I got out of bed at one in the morning to go and buy a pack. But then my phone buzzed. It was Pastor Paul. He told me how proud he was of me for quitting smoking. God knew that's just what I needed to hear to get me through. I went back to bed and haven't had a cigarette since. Another cool thing that God did was he answered our prayers to have another baby. The doctors told us we wouldn't be able to have another baby after our daughter. We were praying together for another baby, but when the doctors told us it was impossible, we stopped trying. We relaxed and started to take care of ourselves. But God heard and answered prayers with another baby girl. God did a beautiful thing for all of us, especially our older daughter. She prayed for five years for a baby sister and finally saw her prayers answered. Let me tell you one last story about how I see God working in my life. When the opportunity came for Mission Lansdale last summer, we wanted to do it, but we are so busy at work, especially over the weekends. God worked it all out because we had scheduled our family vacation for the exact dates of Mission Lansdale. We didn't have plans to go anywhere besides some amusement parks, so we signed up for Mission Lansdale. We are so glad we went because we really learned how to listen for and hear God's voice. I started to feel loved by others. I remember we had been sick with the flu and our pastor and his wife brought us groceries. It seems like such a small thing, but that's something that our friends and family would have never done for us. 
It was a practical way that God showed us he loved us. We thought our lives would be better after accepting Christ, and they were better, especially our marriage. We decided to do everything God's way. Boy, did we see God do amazing things, and he showed us we could trust him with everything, even our finances. But then God showed me, and I had to tell her. I knew I needed to confess that I had been unfaithful and beg her to forgive me. I decided I would tell her tomorrow, but God said, no, do it today. I was afraid she'd leave me, but I felt like God would take care of everything if I just obeyed. My verbal, I'm sorry, did not mean anything because I had said it before. So I told my wife I would show her I was sorry by how I live my life with her every day. I promised to honor her with what I let my eyes see and to keep my thoughts pure. I would let that be my sorry. Our marriage was good. Not great, but good. Then everything changed when I was in the hospital for surgery. That's when he told me the truth. He was unfaithful to me again. Again! He did this to me again. I couldn't take it anymore. The pain was so great, I wanted to die. I even tried. This backpack was too much to bear. I don't want to live like this anymore. I prayed and told God if he wanted me to stay, he needed to show me and help me. I was ready to leave, run away. I couldn't take it anymore, but we had three little girls. I couldn't do this. I couldn't even look at him. I was barely holding on, but God told me to stay. How do I stay, God? I need your help, God. I put scripture verses on post-it notes and hung them all over the house because I knew the only way I was going to make it was with God's help. During this time, I saw my husband change. He was reading his Bible and journaling. He was cleaning out his heart and his life and giving everything to God. He even got rid of those movies and video games that we used to fight over. At this point, I was learning so much about God, and he was teaching me how to love my wife. I was an owner of a $5 million business and was bringing home $300,000 a year, and I felt like God was asking me to leave it. So I asked my wife, and she agreed and felt like God was telling her we were supposed to give it up also. We didn't know what we would do for work, but trusting God, I signed everything over to my business partner, who thought it was the most foolish thing he had ever seen to give up all this wealth because God said so. The more we followed and obeyed, the more we saw God provide. We saw God tear everything down to rebuild our marriage and our family. We were unemployed for nine months and saw God provided all that we needed and were still able to give to others every time God told us to. No matter how hard I tried to find work, God wasn't allowing it during this time. He was rebuilding my marriage, my family, and me, but first, I had to be willing to give him everything. All three of our girls were home with us during this time of unemployment and rebuilding of our marriage. They tell me now that their faith was strengthened because of the changes they saw in me, their dad. God showed me how to love them and my wife. Obedience to God means... Stay when I want to run, 
even if I have to post God's Word everywhere I look. Obedience to God means confessing when I want to hide and getting rid of all the junk in my life. Confessing to God was easy because He already knew, but confessing to the ones you hurt was difficult. During high school, I saw what healthy relationships could look like by spending time with friends through our church youth group and spending more time getting to know Jesus. I wouldn't say life after knowing Jesus fixed all of my problems. While I still have stuff to deal with, I'm a happier guy. I used to be aggressive and angry, but now I can treat people with respect. I used to isolate myself from people, but now I'm more open and want to spend time with them. I can see how Jesus has rebuilt a lot of things in my life that I thought were hopeless. Not only did he teach me to have hope, he's used me to help other people too. During high school, I was able to share hope with many friends who considered suicide as a solution to their hopelessness. I never thought my pain could be used to help someone else, but God has shown me that he can and will use my past to help change people's futures. Now in my 20s, I've still never met my biological dad. I don't even know his name. What I do know is that God showed me the love of a real father by seeing how my adopted dad loves me. Because of God's love, I have peace. One of the most important things to me has been being able to rebuild a relationship with my mom and both of my sisters. I'm really thankful God and my adopted parents helped me get there. Hello, my name is Devin Weiss, and this is my story. Um, I want everyone to know that no matter where you come from, there is always hope. So believe in Jesus and don't look to your past, because through God, you can be changed. Thank you. Morning. My name is Kevin Hayes. This is my story. You can't be good enough to get yourself into heaven. You have to believe in Jesus. I mean, we believe in a lot of things in this world that aren't true. Why not believe in Jesus? Um, He showed me that he's real, and I know if you ask him, he'll show you that he's real to you. Thank you. Hi, this is Mona Lisa Bossy, and this is my story. And one thing I can... Tell you about the power of God's love, that it's real, it's full of grace, and God can show you how to love again. I'm Eric Bossy, and this is my story, and this is my wife, the love of my life. If I could tell you one thing about the power of God's love today, it would be if you love Jesus first, He'll show you how to love your spouse and all, everyone else. Thank you.
It takes a lot of courage to be willing to come up and share your story. Can we just tell them how appreciative we are again? Sometimes we think the broken things in our lives are things that we need to hide because they're embarrassing. And you know, the truth of the matter is they can be and they are embarrassing in some ways because if we could go back and relive them, how many of them would we want to experience? The reality of it is God uses the broken things of the world to challenge us to live differently. And he takes the things that are hopeless and he makes them hopeful. That's the world that we live in. That's the power of the resurrection. Every one of these stories has a very specific, very unique approach to their own life because they are unique to God. But God takes difficult things and broken things in every example, and he makes them beautiful. When we started this morning, I asked you a question. I said, what does the resurrection mean to you? And then I looked at it from a community, and I said, let's look at it from our community this morning. What does the resurrection mean for us? What does it mean for us? And I don't just mean us as Bridge Community Church. You may be part of this church, or maybe this is the first time you've been here. I mean, for mankind, what does the resurrection mean for us? It means something, something of significance. I want to take a few more minutes this morning, and I want to answer that question with a statement. It's this. The resurrection is God's promise of real life, fulfilled through Jesus Christ and offered to everyone. The resurrection, I'll say it again, is God's promise of real life fulfilled through Jesus Christ and offered to everyone. What does that mean? There's three things in that statement that I just want to cover briefly this morning. The first is this. The resurrection is God's promise of real life because he made a vow to restore what we destroyed. God is a God of promises, You know, we make vows and sometimes we keep them and sometimes we make vows and we break them. We're not perfect, but God is perfect. And when he promises to do something, we can be be confident to know that what he promises to do, he's going to do. And what the promise here is, is that God promised to fix the mess that mankind made that goes all the way back to the days of Adam. And he created Adam and he created Eve and he made them perfect and and he made them to live forever and he made them to be in relationship with God and then they chose their own way. And sin entered the world and the poison that we experience today is where it finally began, where it began during that time. He promised to fix that problem. He promised, if you will, to give us back real life. And that's the thing that we need to be reminded of this morning. It's so important for us to know life without knowing and following Jesus is not real life. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can I just be, I'll be honest, but I say it in, in, in love, you're not experiencing real life. And I'll even go as far as saying if you've made a decision at some point to follow Christ, but your life doesn't feel exciting or it doesn't feel like you're really walking with God that maybe you've only experienced a portion of real life but there's so much more he wants us to take you in real life is not the world that we see today mankind does a great job of trying to create things that are real that are really awesome but I recognized this a few weeks ago when we had our nth snowstorm whenever that was a few weeks ago another snowstorm and I remember thinking about this again going if mankind builds What we build is beautiful. 
But if we stop maintaining it, it eventually goes back to the place that it began. It gets destroyed. If God's creation is left alone, it grows more and more beautiful. Think about that. What we create, if we don't maintain it, eventually breaks down again. But what God creates when it's left to its own continues to grow and flourish and be beautiful. Because God is in the business of showing us what real life looks like. And we try to manufacture real life. But can I tell you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ or you're not walking in a genuine relationship with Christ, you're not experiencing real life. We know what that looks like. Each one of these stories gave you an example of what it looked like. Where we try to experience life in the construct of what we have, but it's not real life. It only becomes real when Jesus is a part of the story. It looks different for different people. Like I said earlier, sometimes it's what was placed upon us in circumstances like Devin's story or in Eric and Mona's story. The situation was very real. The circumstance they were placed into, where they were born into. But sometimes it's also things that you add to it to make it worse. Or maybe it's Kevin's story. Kevin just felt like he was a good guy. Is that real life? No. It's a counterfeit life. That's not the way God intended us to live. In fact, we need to remember that even the nicest person in the world, according to God, is still lost on their own. Romans 3.23 says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You know what standard that brings us to? The standard that every one of us in this room needs to remember is simply this. We're not good enough. We're never going to be good enough. We can't be good enough on our own. It's impossible So if you came into the doors today with somebody that you think is better than you, they're not. In fact, later you can look at them and go, you're not better than me. You could do it now, but it might cause a problem. Bring it home. Just bring it home. That's what's so beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ, guys. No one is better than than anyone else. All of us start in the same place. All of us come with different backgrounds and brokenness and hurt and sinfulness. And all of us are selfish. Just in practice the other day when we were preparing for this, there was a, you know, a situation where a kid was going rogue outside and you could hear it. And I went, wow, I'm like, you know, selfishness is not something that we need to learn. Selfishness is something that we're just inherently born with. Why? Because we're broken people. I never had to be taught how to be self-centered. It just came naturally. I guess I'm good at it. This is the issue that we live with. Every one of us is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And our lives can change. When do they change? When we see the need that God's been trying to show us. That you can't live real life on your own. You cannot experience real life on your own. I cannot experience real life on your own. In my arrogance, in my intelligence, I can try to live a good life. I can earn a good living. I can experience everything I want to experience, travel the world. I could be the number one person in all of my area or field of interest. And if I don't recognize my standard, which is falling short without God's intervention, it's all going to go away. We build on this earth for it to go back into the ground. This is the truth and this is reality. And you know, if I'm just being candid and honest with you, like it's fun sometimes to just invest in stuff that has no significance. I'll say it. There have been different stages in my life where I'm like, right now it's all about me. Like, you know, 
Some of you know Brian Regan, the comedian, the me monster. It's about me, 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 me. I want, I want, I want. Yeah, life is about me. Conversations are about me. It's normal for us to feel like that sometimes. The reality of it is if life is always about you, if life is always about me, we never come to a place where we recognize that we actually need someone who's greater than us. And that's the gospel message that none of us are good enough. None of us can do it on our own. Every story that you heard this morning said that exact same thing. They were impacted by sin and brokenness, and they needed to have a solution that was bigger than themselves. There's more to life. There's more that we understand. The resurrection is, is God's promise of real life. The second thing I want to share briefly this, evening, this morning with you is the resurrection is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. This is big. It's fulfilled through Jesus Christ, okay? Because we can't resurrect ourselves. You and I can't make dead things alive. It's not possible. We need someone greater than ourselves to bring true life to dead situations. Someone perfect how to to fix it. And the only one that's perfect is God himself who sends his son completely perfect so that you and I could be in relationship with him. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is only one God. The Bible has some things that are a little ambiguous, that are hard to understand, but this is not one of them. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is only one God. And Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. Think about that. Well, I'm not sure I know what the Bible says. There is no ambiguity in that whatsoever. There's only one God and Jesus is the only one that can bring us to God. Jesus was truly human and he gave himself to rescue all of us. And what I love about this verse and the translation here is that it uses the word rescue. It's only when we recognize our need for a savior that we're open to actually receive the savior. We have to come to a place sometimes when we recognize our need for a savior. And it's only when we recognize the need that we actually are open When we see ourselves as good enough, we're fine, we don't need to change, we're able to take care of ourselves, we have no need for Jesus. We have no need for something greater than ourselves. Why? Because life is pretty good. And then at some point in a construct of our life, everything starts to crumble and fall apart. It does happen at different times in our lives. Some of you, if you think about those of you who are followers of Christ, what had to happen in your life? for you to make a decision to follow Jesus. For some of you, especially those that came to Christ when you were older, your life had to fall apart or something had to hit you right upside the head in the face, kind of like that guy in church that whacked Eric over the head for blowing raspberries at that little kid. Just got to hit you right over the head and go, I can't do this by myself. No, you can't, and neither can I. And that's the beauty of the truth of the gospel. He rescues me. He rescues you because we're unable to rescue ourselves, The last thing I want you to hear this morning about the resurrection is that the resurrection is offered to everyone. The resurrection is offered to everyone. I love this part. Romans 10, 11 through 13 says this. The scriptures say, no one who has faith will be disappointed. Look, no matter if that person is a Jew or a Gentile, in the construct of today, today's time, we're Gentiles for the most part. There is only one Lord and he is generous to everyone who asks for his help and who call out to the Lord will be saved. All who call out to the Lord will be saved. What I love about the message of the gospel is that it is the promise of God 
for real life, fulfilled through Jesus Christ, offered to everyone. It's offered to you, it's offered to me, but not everyone accepts it. And that is the tragedy of the world that we live in because people can't jump over and make the recognition that they're not good enough sometimes. And God continues to draw and he continues to show them truth. Each one of us have to recognize in our life that at some point when we get ready to breathe our last breath, we have to ask ourselves, what is going to happen to us? Is it in that moment that we should turn our lives over to Christ? If it happens in that moment, I think that's great. My grandfather was 84 years old when he gave his life to Christ. A Jewish man, wanted nothing to do with Jesus all his life. He left when I was four. I saw him again when I was 31 years old, two weeks before he died. A Jewish man who was a year from becoming a rabbi in his 20s could still recite Hebrew and quote scripture on his deathbed. Wanted nothing to do with God. And he breathed his last breath. And before he breathed his last breath, he asked me to convert him. I said, why do you change your heart now? And he said, no change. I've known in my heart for a long time. It's a beautiful thing in our last moments when we give our lives to Christ. But can I just be honest, please? That is not God's intent. He wants us now. He wants us to be in relationship with him now. Yes, eternity is what it's all about. He wants us to be in relationship with him for eternity. But today is when he wants us to choose life. Today is when he wants us to be accepting, to say, I can't do this by myself. I'm prideful. I know I don't believe. My head's tell me. But you know what? If I listen and I quiet my own disbelief, my skepticism, my self-centeredness, and say, God, are you really there? He'll speak. And he'll show you that he is. And he wants you to live differently. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And he offers it to every single one of us. And he offers it at a cost. The cost is not something that we pay. The cost is something he paid. Salvation is a free gift. Following Jesus costs us everything. Are you willing to follow Jesus this morning? Are you willing to lay your life down and experience real life? We're going to get ready to close this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team if you guys can come. Maybe you've heard the stories today and you're thinking, yeah, there's something about the story that I identified with. Maybe for you, the resurrection power is something that you're still searching for and you're looking for. And you're looking for another illustration. Can I just use this as a very simple illustration? I have a packet of seeds in my hand. Um, This is right around the time that we're supposed to start thinking about planting seeds, right? Not yet, obviously, but maybe in your house you can start planting seeds. This packet of seeds represents a bunch of wildflowers, but actually what it really represents are new beginnings. Seeds represent new beginnings. Every seed in this packet can grow to something really awesome and unique, something special. And this is what happens in our life when we accept Christ. The power of resurrection are like the toiling of our heart, the the, the soil of our heart. It may be hard right now with pride. It may be hard right now with pain or skepticism. Or maybe, maybe church is something like, I think of that story where, you know, you get beat upside the head by someone years ago and you never go to church ever again because of that. 
And there's a hardness that's there. Can I tell you the power of the resurrection? What he does first is Jesus comes in with the spirit and he begins to toil up the the soil and begins to break all the hard soil that's dry and hard like concrete. And then he takes the power of the resurrection and he plants new seed in that soil. And then he covers it up and he begins to water it. And the resurrection power begins to grow new life in your heart. What I love about each one of these stories is none of them say at the end of the story, and now my life is great and perfect. No, why? Because the seeds of God's power continue to grow in their heart. And the more that they continue to walk and the more that they continue to water it and let God continue to grow it, the more they're going to look more like Jesus and the less they're going to look like their old self. And every one of us have that opportunity this morning. Every one of us has the opportunity to have their story rewritten. So let me ask you, how can the resurrection rewrite your story? How can it rewrite your story? Maybe it's already rewriting your story. Let him work. Let him walk. Let him show you the path. He wants to rewrite your story with you. But if you're brand new this morning and you're saying, my story is a mess, I want to share this with you. It's a great message that I think can change the way that we live. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, 19 to 20, I want you to know about the great and mighty power that God has for his followers. It is the same wonderful power he used when he raised Christ from the dead and let him sit at his right side in heaven. What is Paul saying? He's like, I don't want you to just hear about God. We heard about him this morning. I don't want you to just see what God is doing through somebody else. What is he saying? I want you to experience him. Hearing about God doesn't necessarily change anything. People hear about God all the time. Seeing what God has done doesn't necessarily change anything. We can see the things around us that God is doing, and it may not change anything. But when we experience it, when you experience it, it changes who you are. When you experience his power, and that's what Paul's saying. Oh, I want you to know the great and mighty power that God has for us and his followers. It's the same power he used when he raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power he used. Can I tell you, if there's power to raise dead people, there is power to raise your life. And I don't mean your physical life. I mean your life, whatever's going on in your heart. I mean the the victim, the struggle. There are people, I believe in my heart of hearts, their identity is in what they're pasts have done or, or the abuse that they've wrestled with, or maybe they've always seen themselves as a victim, or they've always seen themselves as less than someone else. Or maybe you've gone around the same problem over and over and over again, and it hasn't been weeks or months, it's been years that you've continued to struggle with the same issue over and over and over again, and you're saying, I feel like this is never going to end. Can I tell you the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that we can experience by giving our lives to Christ. And you don't have to go around the merry-go-round anymore. You don't have to experience bondage and pain over and over again. You can live free. Can I tell you, that is the message of the gospel. And that is why we are existing today. When we give our lives to Christ, he doesn't just take us home. He says, now take what I'm doing in you and give it away to other people. 
where do you feel dead today? Where do you feel dead today? If he can resurrect a dead body, church, he can resurrect a dead marriage. If he's resurrected a dead body, he can resurrect a broken relationship. If he can resurrect a dead body, he can resurrect dead dreams. How many of us have let our dreams die? And I don't mean self-centered dreams. I mean things that are in our heart that we want to see accomplished and they feel like they're never going to happen. God is in the business of making dead things alive and he can do it and he is going to continue to do it and he wants to do it for every single one of you today. How do I know? Because he loves you. Because he doesn't just love you, he pursues you. The resurrection is all about the pursuit of God as he pursues you and he pursues me. Would you take a moment and stand with me, please? going to ask if you would just take a few moments as our worship team closes us in a song to contemplate and think about the love of God this morning. Whether it be through a story that you connected with, a message or a verse that you connected with, or maybe the Holy Spirit's just tugging on your heart this morning saying, today is the day that I want to see new things brought to life in your heart. I want to see dead things taken away and I want to think new things brought to life. If today is the day that he's asking you to do that, then let's worship God and trust. Faith requires stepping before we know exactly where everything is going to land. He asks you to open open your heart to him and watch him fill you with new truth and new love.